sit down. I think uh, the three of them have shared uh, very much our heart. Um, when you ask people to share, like Brittany and Karen, you have no idea what they're going to share. Uh, but uh, we also knew that uh, the Lord would use them to convey to you just a glimpse, because that's really what it is, a glimpse. People have asked me many a time, you know, uh, how's camp going? And uh, I, I think of the words in Scripture of uh, different people uh, when Jesus has healed them and then they've uh, gone and somebody said, well, how come you're healed? And they would say, come and see, come and see. And I would challenge each one of you, uh, if you want to experience camp, even come for a half a day. Um, and if you come open-minded, uh, wanting to see what camp is all about, I can guarantee you, you will be changed. Uh, just talk to Brittany, talk to Karen later, talk to some of your kids that have come to camp. Some of you that have been to camp, maybe in your earlier years, you're different because of camp. And uh, I'm different because of camp. And each year, stories like Trayton, as Kathy shared, just sort of tug on your heart. And, uh, but it's not my job to share camp this morning. That's why I brought Kathy along. Uh, and because uh, she's a much better storyteller than I am, uh, it's. Uh, but the Lord's asked me to to share with you this morning. This year, our theme. Well, both Karen and Brittany were wearing the T-shirts equipped, but along with that, uh, we were using in our staff Devo time a book by Kyle Aldman called "Not a Fan." If you haven't seen it, I would encourage each one of you to pick up a copy and read it. Not just read it to say that you've read it. Uh, I know Kathy's on her second time through, and I picked up the copy this morning to refresh, and uh, there's so many highlights in it that I thought, well, you know, this is a used book. But uh, it's one of those books that uh, challenges you big time. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, or are you just a fan? That's really the premise of the book. And so this morning, I want to sort of pick up on that theme and, and just share with you on this theme of follow me. Vern read from Luke chapter 5, the calling of Levi. There's, there's other scripture references that, uh, like Matthew talks about it, and Mark, and so on. But uh, I chose the Luke passage um, for no apparent reason, <laughs> other than uh, that's the one that came to mind. But in, in this passage, it's a very short story. Jesus was teaching, and uh, he's, as he was teaching, he was moving along the streets, and he came across this tax booth where Levi was sitting. And Levi... Uh, doing what he does best, and that is collecting taxes from his own people. He's a Jew, uh, 
but he is not well liked by his people because he is uh, working for the Romans collecting taxes and they were taxed to death. So here's Levi sitting in this booth collecting taxes. Jesus walks by and he says two words, follow me. That's all he said. The Bible doesn't say that Levi said anything. All it says is Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. That's all it says. Jesus said, follow me. Levi took a stand. He decided to act. And he couldn't sit on the fence when it was concerning this. He had to make a decision. So he did. What did he do? He left everything, his livelihood. The thing that gave him that human security, the thing that uh, identified him, even though he wasn't well-liked by his countrymen, uh, but it identified him. It gave him that status. He left everything to do what? To follow Christ. He made his move. It was more than a nice idea. Well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to tax collecting. It was a commitment, and he proved it by action, because the next few verses explain what he did. And we know that this is the Levi, that, be, that is the same name as Matthew, and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew and became one of the twelve disciples because of two words, follow me. And what, what Levi did next is he created this, he made this banquet, invited large crowds, people that Jesus wouldn't, of course, from the Pharisees' point of view, ever associate with, tax collectors, sinners. I'm sure there was all the riffraff of the community. That was the type of people that Levi would be hanging out with. So he created this and held this banquet, and Jesus was invited, and Jesus came. That's the neat thing about Jesus, is we can sometimes put Jesus in a box, say, well, Jesus will meet us in church. I mean, he's not going to meet us, you know, over there. No, Jesus will meet people wherever their hearts want to meet him. But the Pharisees were there as well, and of course we can see the story here, and the story is that the Pharisees, they had to argue the fact that, you know, well, if he's really the Messiah, he certainly wouldn't be associating with these individuals. And yet, Jesus did. And Jesus makes this comment, is it not the healthy, sorry, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Wherever Jesus went, he drew large crowds. You just read through the scriptures, okay? Uh, His popularity had become so big. And many of these uh, these multitudes of people 
wanted to follow him as Messiah, as as the leader that was going to take over the Romans, and uh, they had this distorted view of what the Messiah was all about. They thought the Christ would usher in this restored kingdom. He would come with a sword. He would come with, uh, you know, this authority and would overthrow the Romans and they would gain once again their, their prominence. They believed he would free them from that oppression that the Romans were giving them. And if we look closely even at the inner circle of his disciples, they thought that this kingdom was going to come soon as well. And so when Jesus started to teach that, uh, you know, yeah, this kingdom, my kingdom is going to come, but I'm going to have to die. I'm going to be put to death by the hands of the Jewish leaders. His popularity fast disappeared. People were leaving him by the droves. Many people left. The shock followers rejected him. Truly, they wouldn't, he wouldn't be saying that. Uh, I mean, all our dreams, our plans, our desires to, you know, to rule with him. Uh, I'm, uh, we're going to, we're going to what? Following Jesus is not easy. Jesus never asked it to be easy. It demands sacrifice and cost. We can read through the Gospels, especially the Gospels, and the many, many opportunities that people had to connect or, or to have a relationship with Jesus Christ And there are many times those two words come up in Scripture. Follow me. James and John, they're fishing with their dad. And Jesus comes along and he says, Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And it says immediately they dropped their nets, left them with the dad and the the hired hands, and followed Christ. Philip, Nathaniel, two others that Jesus said, follow me too. But then there were those others, like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus by night and said, or came to Jesus and said, you know, I've been a good guy. I've done this, I've done that, and whatever, you know, what what do I have to do to, uh, to be your disciple? And Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And he couldn't do it. There's a cost to following Christ. James and John, they left their livelihood. The rich young ruler couldn't do that. Many times in scripture we find those that were proclaiming the name of Christ, sharing the name of Christ, and oh yeah, he's my He's, he's, he's the one, he's the one, but then when he was saying foxes of holes, the son of man has nowhere to lay their head, or go and sell all that you have and then you can be my disciple, they wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Why? 
because they were a fan of Jesus. They admired him for his, his teaching. They may have admired him and, and were infatuated by him because of the miracles he was doing, but when pushed come to shove, they couldn't follow him because it cost too much. It cost too much. Truly following Jesus may mean that you face the loss of friends, family, reputation, maybe it's your career, possibly even your life. And I'm sure each one of us could think of different places around the world right now where those are reality. People that have followed Jesus actually giving up their life because of the decision. It doesn't necessarily mean that these, all these things will happen to you, but if you were asked, or if it comes to a point in your life where you had to make a choice between reputation and Jesus, career or Jesus, life or Jesus, would you follow Jesus? Tough question, isn't it? But that's what Jesus is asking of us. Are we willing? It may not be required, but are we willing? When Jesus defines the relationship he wants with us, it makes, he makes it very clear that a fan who believes without making a real commitment to follow him, that's not an option. And I think an example in scripture is the example of Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, we know this, uh, and we know the story where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Nicodemus is... Uh, a Pharisee. He's one of the 72 uh, religious leaders. And he comes to Jesus by night. And we know the dialogue. We've read John chapter 3 probably many times uh, through your Christian life. And of course, we get John 3.16 out of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But prior to Jesus saying that, there's this dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus. And of course, we know Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he calls him rabbi or teacher. And uh, he actually says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So he recognizes him as some authority, um, maybe more so than other Pharisees, but Nicodemus recognizes them that. And, um, and the dialogue goes something like this, that uh, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus says, I, I know that you're this uh, rabbi, you, you, you teach what uh, God has instructed you, uh, you perform many miracles, and so on. Um, 
And in the midst of saying that, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now that's, uh, <laughs> where does that come into that uh, dialogue? Uh, Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And of course, that really creates a discussion because, well, are you saying that I have to uh, go back into my mother's womb and be, no, that's not what I'm saying, Jesus said unless you are born of spirit. And the dialogue continues, and we get the verse, for, for God so loved the world, you know. And we don't hear much more of Nicodemus. We don't know what Nicodemus was thinking. All it says in verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into Judea countryside. Dialogue stops. Nicodemus is, is no longer there until we get to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse, uh, verse 50, right at the end of the chapter. The Pharisees have been out to get Jesus. The Pharisees have been in a in a debate uh, with Jesus many a times and they really were annoyed with what he was doing. They were, he was disturbing the status quo, I guess if you were calling that from the religious standpoint, and they have sent the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And if you read in the beginning, the middle part of John chapter 7 you see the dialogue between Jesus and different disciples and different Jews the temple guard listening to it and then we get to verse 45 finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them why didn't you bring him in the temple guard couldn't bring him in the Bible says because it was not his time no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard said. You mean he has deceived you also? See, the Pharisees were so blinded. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. See, the mob was believing in Jesus. But then verse 50, Nicodemus, here he is again, who had gone to Jesus earlier. He asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? Here's Nicodemus, one of the 72 leaders, religious leaders, standing up against his peers, standing up to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, and saying, hang on here. Isn't, isn't our law, he was using his own, their own argument, doesn't our law, uh, does our law condemn anyone with first hearing him? In other words, let's bring him in, let's, let's talk to him, let him explain. But of course the Pharisees didn't want to do that because they couldn't argue with Jesus. Here he is, standing up against his peers. He risked his career. He risked his reputation. 
when he did that. He allows what he believes to interfere with his work, with his reputation, and with his financial future. You see, verse 52, the Pharisees replied to him, Are you from Galilee too? Are you from Galilee too? It sounds like nothing, but uh, my understanding is that uh, there's no good thing comes out of Nazareth. And uh, are you associating with this Messiah? That's really what they're asking, because that's where Jesus was from. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. But Nicodemus says, and again, we don't see anything more of Nicodemus, but he had made a stand. So he had gone from seeing Jesus at night, asking certain questions, not knowing did he believe, did he not believe, did he follow, did he not, to now standing up for Jesus in the midst of his peers, And we see Nicodemus one more time in Scripture. John chapter 19. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has um, died. In verse 38... Of John chapter 19, it says this Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus who secretly, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And they took the body down, they put him in the tomb, and that's the last of scripture we hear of Nicodemus. What's so important about this passage of Nicodemus? Well, let me ask you, where are the disciples at this time? The actual twelve that actually followed Jesus, or let's say the inner three, where are they? They all ran. They're hiding. And yet these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, stand in public view and remove the body, place it in a tomb, and basically they're staying We follow this man. We're followers of Jesus Christ. It says here, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. I did some online research. That's about $150,000 to $200,000 worth in our day. That didn't cost him a little bit of money. That cost him a lot. Possibly his whole life savings. And so here's a man who, at the beginning of the book of John, sneaks to Jesus at night to ask him a few questions as an admirer and as a a fan, who stood for Jesus in the midst of his peers and ultimately sacrificed everything 
to come to Jesus' side at the time of his death to bury him and he was a follower. Christian tradition says that Nicodemus, this isn't in scripture, this is just on research, he died as a martyr during the first century. What would make Nicodemus do such a thing? He had it all. He was a religious leader, one of 72 But when he heard Jesus, and in a sense, Jesus saying to him, follow me, he did. He gave it up. He was willing to give it up. And he did. He proved that he was following Jesus. He moved past words of belief he was no longer a secret or even an enthusiastic admirer. He had become a devout follower. And the question is this morning, how about you? Where are you in that story? Are you like Nicodemus? You're just sort of secretly coming to Jesus just to ask him the odd question. You're a fan. You can tell all the details and the statistics about his life like a hockey fan can tell all the statistics of a, of a particular team you're following or whatever. And uh, that's good knowledge. But that's all it is, is just knowledge. Or maybe you're an admirer. You're one who has been infatuated with his miracles and wonders. And uh, that's, wow, I can really get excited and enthused about all the things that God is doing and, and has done and, and whatever, and, but that's as far as it goes. You're just an admirer. Or are you a follower? One that is willing to allow Jesus to interfere with your life. Our staff this past summer for a majority of them, they proved they were followers. Many of them could have had good jobs during the summer, but they gave that up to come to camp. And, of course, we pay them big-time bucks. Uh, no, the Lord pays them dividends that uh, are out of this world. Many of our staff know what it is to follow Christ in the midst of hardships, tiredness, exhaustion, and uh, long days, 24-7, actually, if you're a cabin leader. It's nonstop. Even your time off is not your time off. And people ask us, why is camp so important? It's because young people like this, they learn to follow Christ. They learn to follow him and allow him to interfere with their life. And we could tell you stories of young people who came to camp for one 
one week or maybe the whole summer. And by the end of the summer, the Lord had so interfered with their life that uh, their whole life pattern changes, and they go in a different direction. They go off to Bible school, and some of them are now pastors. Some of them are youth workers. Some of them are missionaries. Why? Because they came to camp, maybe as a fan and as an admirer, but somehow during that camp experience, they heard the words, follow me, and they did. And today, um, there are countless people who are following Christ because of a week at camp. And so I leave with you this challenge. Don't be a fan of Jesus. Don't be a follower. Or, sorry, don't be an admirer. Be a follower. Take your Bible, go through the Gospels, and in your concordance, just look up, follow me, and just start looking at the different things about follow me. How Jesus said it, one reference I want to leave with you are actually two. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and uh, again um, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus makes this statement. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must do that. But in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? I think Jesus is saying to me, to you, to everybody, it requires following him be his disciple, to be the person that God has called us to be, is to follow Jesus Christ and allow him to interfere with our life. Give him permission to do that. We don't like that, but that's the requirement. Let's pray. Father God, We like to hear the words that you speak. And sometimes, Father, we have to admit that they're easy to hear, but so much harder to follow. And Father, you have called each one of us with those two words, follow me. And I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning, the rest of our life, that, Father, we would continue to learn what that means and not just put it in our heads, but, Father, like Levi, like Nicodemus, like the disciples, when you called and when you said, follow me, they actually did it. So, Father, may we have that courage May we seek you with all our hearts that we can say that we follow you 
that we're not just a fan. In Jesus' name, amen.